HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week we sip fermented tea with Justin Trout, one of the co-founders and the COO of Health Aid, one of America's most favorite kombuchas. We learn about how music plays a part in the brewing process, what it means to get your own business going, and what it means to keep it in motion. Then we are at the legendary Danger Bird Record Studios where we sit down and hear performers from brothers David and Renee, the Pacheco brothers, and their band Tropa Magica. We learn what it means to grow up in the East LA punk scene and what it means to create your own sound. So sit back and listen. Here we go. Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Justin Trout, co-founder and COO of Health Aid Kombucha. Sipping on some delicious, can I call it the Booch? Kombucha? What's the nickname? Um, geez, you know. If I want to be like an insider. If you want to be an insider, we just call it Health Aid. We just drop the kombucha oh, entirely. Yeah. yeah. It's like Madonna. Well, that's our whole goal eventually. Like, we, you just want to be like, hey, let me have a Health Aid. And yeah. that's just synonymous, right? Yeah. Mmm. I love beets. Okay, so you're drinking the beet line. Like, I literally, uh, I have a reputation at work that uh, every day I bring them a salad, it has beets, and everyone's like, oh, you got your beets out today. They're really good. They're I, really good, and they get so sweet. Yeah, I think that if people didn't have this built-in stigma against beets, they'd like them a lot more. Beets are great. They taste awesome. I want to know, because uh, there's usually a thing, you know, like with tomatoes, they're like poisonous, like nightshade <laughs> uh, back in the day. Like, I wonder when beets got their bad reputation. I think it had to do with like kids or something. I don't know. Like maybe back in the days, kids worked on the farm. And they were sure. Like sick and tired of pulling up these beets all the time. Sick and, then, and tired. Um, so you actually uh, didn't get your start in food. You were actually you're a, a trained musician. That's my deal. Uh, Berkeley yeah. College of Music. Yeah. Um, as being your first passion, what do you love about music? What inspires you? Oh, so much. I mean, music to me, it's. As someone who actually performs, yeah, yeah, like that's the thing. Like, as a musician, I couldn't even possibly say what it would be like if I was a listener only, which right? I am. Okay, you're a listener only, and I'm obsessed. But there's a part of me where I go, I can't add to it. That's fine. I know. Okay, that's like me in movies. Sure. Like anything with that, I'm like, whatever this is, yeah. is amazing. Wow. Uh, however, they did that. But with music, for me. I think the art of actually playing it is so meditative. Yeah. Um, it's so detailed. Like, there's so much to do that there's a certain point where you can't even keep track of it all. And you have to sort of trust and succumb to however it's going to be. Mm. And maintaining that balance through a performance is so interesting. And that's why I love so many kinds of music. Because they each have their own little particular disciplines that go on throughout it. It's it's really fascinating. Now, we'll get into a little bit, uh, but now that you're a businessman, now that you run your own company, yeah. is there any disciplines from music, from studying, from that inspiration that have followed you into this career of like, yeah. starting and running a, a CPG business? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um I don't want to be too, like, cliche, but... Be cliche. All right. Hard work. Learning to play an instrument very well, or even what I did at Berkeley was music production and engineering. Just got a nice little XY configuration yep. here going with your microphones. So, it's so much work. Yeah. And you have to be a self-starter. Like, it, I think it would be, like, morally wrong to force someone to practice an instrument. Like, Why? You know, you don't. You, it is a form of torture in some part of the the world. Well, it would have to be a self torture, but yeah. you could never force that on someone else. You'd be like, "Gosh, can't you do something else with your time?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you could. This is a this is a dalliance that you're just really into, and so I think when you're doing a business, certainly as an entrepreneur, there's um, you have got to work really hard, and you've got to be a self starter. And then one of the things I had a really great professor um, in college. We were mixing right so you, you end up with all the different tracks there yep. could be many 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 of them and then you it's really the art of balancing them so that it sounds really good through speakers okay that's mixing and he had a thing that stuck with me and then it could just be the OCD in me saying it and it stuck with me though anything you can do to make a mix better you must do right 
Like if it pops into your head, you can't just ignore it. You're not allowed. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to throw it out. And uh, no. yeah, I, I, I get that approach. Um, and I guess that a lot of the times with a business and also with music, 80% of what you do is in private. 90% of what you do is in private. Yeah, me, for sure. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they don't see you going over the books. They don't see you, you know, testing and failing and testing and failing. You know, they don't see you when you're getting started doing the drives to the market. It's no. like, but it's about showing up. It's so about showing up. So, you know, for those who are not familiar with kombucha, which yeah. is not a... I don't know anymore. Because I think there was a time when people, I would say maybe five or six years ago, it was like this mystery thing, but... I live in LA now, and so yeah. I feel like everyone knows kombuchas. But like, when did you first hear of kombucha? Did it come to you through like your world of musicians? Because I feel like it does sort of have that like left culture, hippy dippy mm. musician sort of vibe mm-hmm. to it. When did you first come across it? Okay, and so, what is it? For okay, okay, the level yeah. set. Let's kombucha, level set. All right, level set. So we know what mixing is. We've defined that. I think it's a clear. If you didn't know, <laughs> if you didn't know, you got an elevator pitch for what mixing is. Elevator pitch me on the on the kombucha. Kombucha is fermented tea that's naturally rich in probiotics and healthy acids, mm. basically. Okay. So you take, in our case, in Health Aid's case, it's green and black tea, mm. and we brew that tea and we add sugar to it because that's the fuel for the fermentation, and we add the kombucha cultures. So if you think of like sourdough bread or yep. yogurt or something, you can reuse and regrow the culture. Think of seed saving if you're in a farm or something like that. You put the seeds in there. And what we do is we use these two and a half gallon glass jars. We have hundreds of thousands. I was gonna of say many. You really? Yes. Even after you scaled up? Yeah. Yes. You just buy more jars. Lots of jars. Okay. Well. Okay. Okay. We can always go back. Yeah. 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 Lots okay, of jars. Okay. Yeah. And then so, and it ferments in there, and that fermentation throughout that process it essentially transforms what was sweet tea with some culture in it into something that has a little bit more of a tart flavor, um, way less sugar. Um, it becomes bubbly when you put it in the bottle and it ferments in the bottle and it has probiotics which are healthy for your gut and that mm. radiates in other parts of your body and has healthy acids and vitamins and things like that. And when you drink it, and the reason I believe why it's become so popular um, is Simply when you drink it, it makes you feel good. I mean, plain and simple. Oh, yeah. When I put down a bottle of Health Aid, I feel good. There you go. I feel like, well, I didn't make it to the gym, but I had some I had some Health Aid. So we have a thing where we say we're not, like, we don't allow the word perfect at the company. It's no. all about the health. Uh, it's the health it takes to be happy. Yeah. And for us, it's like, look, if you want to do one nice thing for yourself, this is great. You don't have to also, like, have, you know organic kale picked by a virgin of the moonlight like that's okay you no, can be that's a that's like a person. saturday like every other month that's okay whatever uh, it might be for you anyway so, that's what kombucha is so that's kombucha is and so when did you first have it when did you first get introduced to it and did you have this like first sip aha moment where like i have to get into i have to get into this i actually did okay okay so my wife yeah is our ceo shout out dina ceo nice work uh co-founder yeah and um we met when we were both living in Boston. So I was going to college. She was in graduate school studying nutrition um, and public health and doing smart person stuff. And so I was like on a coffee and hot dog diet exclusively at that time. I know that Boston diet well. I went to BU. Oh. Yeah. We have so many connections. I know. Here. Like we have parallel lives kind of. South, thing. South Philly, Philadelphia, Boston. I also lived like two blocks from Taste Made, FYI. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. I used to. Small so, world. Yeah. I love Boston. Me too. Honest oh, Korea. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, Honest Taqueria. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. I forgot about that till you said oh, it. Oh, I mean, that was that so, was my diet. Anyway. So, so I, I worked at Atlantic Fish Company. That was oh, my job. okay. That's where Diane and I met. Yeah. So anyway, um, we digress. I had really bad, surprise, surprise, stomach issues. More like, processed meat and acid? I'm like, what's going on with yeah. this, right? I didn't know any better. Yeah. And then so I go to this doctor. Guy didn't ask me a thing about what I ate. I'm like, my stomach, real bad, problem. And he's like... I got just a thing for you. And it was, like, it was some kind of prescription assortment. I didn't know what it was. And so I go to my then-girlfriend, Dinah, and I'm like, okay, so I got to get these prescriptions filled. Kind of a bummer, right? It is what it is. And she's like, okay, wait a minute. Stop. Like, can we work on this at all? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, sure. And she said, well, I'm learning about kombucha. Uh, just fermented foods and things like that in school. And then this came up. And so she goes, let's just try making it once. What year is this? This is 05. So, I mean, kombucha... Nascent. Nascent. Yeah. And so, yeah, sure, we made it. I will never forget, I had like half a glass, and my stomach, right then and there, just felt better. Like your Popeye spinach moment. It was my Popeye spinach moment. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. And I just thought, wow, I'm going to like have a normal meal tonight and not feel pain or anything. And I've been just doing kombucha ever since then. Okay, so how do you go from music yeah. grad in Boston, you know, with smart girlfriend turned yeah. wife, making yeah. kombucha in what I can only imagine is a Boston-style college-type apartment, yep. uh, to being like, we're going to make a go of this? And not, I'm not talking about like the bottle stuff, but like, what's the next step? Well, there was a huge gap of time in between. We didn't start the company until 2012. But you're still making it and just drinking it for yourself. Yeah, it's like on and off, right? right. Like when you make kombucha and, you know, like a lot of things, you're like, like, like sprouting things at home. You like do it for a while, then you like take a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Long, you take a break. So we were doing that, right? So we'd buy kombucha or we'd make it and we kind of oscillate between that and that was all good. And then we moved to LA in 2007 mm-hmm. and I was a musician mm-hmm. doing anything that could you know pay me as a musician how was that going oh my gosh tough caps off to anybody to everybody doing it and that's pre that's pre like bubble bursting recession yeah listen i wouldn't have felt that i was so far <laughs> low, like I mean, oh the bubble burst oh god what's gonna happen what's gonna happen i mean i had no like i wasn't like living you lose that one nickel to rub against the other yeah nickel. yeah, yeah right. that's yeah. A lot. so i mean no um so I was doing that, and so in that case, I mean, I was like, I, w- I was an assistant for producers, or I'd be like engineering, mm-hmm. or I'd be doing my own productions for people that would pay me, and they're like a singer, and they're like, I want to be a singer, and I'm like, okay. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Studio musician, you know, hired gun live stuff, you know, all that, and like, found it very stressful, not surprisingly. And at a certain point, after like a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of what seemed like near misses... That is a subject for another podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, think you're getting there, but you're like, oh my God, no. Um, eventually I thought, I need to get a job. Yeah. Like I just need, I love music and I'm starting to not love it really that much. Yeah, it's tough. So I really just want a job. Just let me straighten that out right now. So I ended up getting a job um, for this company that made like cosmetic concealants for hair loss. Sure. Okay, as one does. As one does. Sure. And then, so it was a small company. It was entrepreneur owned it. Um, and I was just fascinated by business. It pushed a lot of my buttons that music does. Like, I like detail. I like intricacy. I like 
when I push something, something happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like being able to impact things. So all of that was going on and I actually kind of fell in love with it. And then next thing we know, me, Diana, and our best friend, Vanessa, third co-founder, we started an entrepreneur club, mm. the three of us. And it was at night, we'd get together, you know, we want to drink kombucha while we're having this entrepreneur club because, um, you know, you don't want to be drinking alcohol while you're doing it. You're not really, you can't think yeah. as well and all that. So we thought of all kinds of ideas, some of which I found out later other people ran with and they became successful businesses. So I think that we have like good ideas. And um, <laughs> anyway, it dawned on us eventually. We're like, oh my God, we got to be selling kombucha. We've been making it. Let's just go with it. We got to get started on a business. And as far as us, as a trifecta, what we call ourselves, I call it a triad, um, we definitely um, click as people and as business owners and workers together. Really, very, very, there's a lot of luck involved too in these things. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to talk about to you getting the business started and then growing into what it is today. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org.
Something less exciting than the edge of the night table fall For a second the temptation fell more than just fun I get lost in the thrill sometimes Oh, I get lost in the thrill sometimes Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. We're here with Justin Trout, co-founder and CEO of HealthAid. Not saying the last name because we're going to start the trend here. <laughs> um, so you and your, your triad of business partners have decided that this is the business that you're going to go with. Now, launching into the food space is hard enough, but launching a beverage or a drink or something that is also that not well-known, not well-heard of, could come with the stigma is even harder. How did you get started? Where did you start? Did you did you know that you would take baby steps or did you go head first, straight in, full guns blazing? Head first, straight in, full guns blazing. Okay. And the thing is, like, have you ever, like, had to, like, like dive off kind of like a, like a cliff or something into water? Yeah. Okay. Not like, a lot. Okay, I did it recently this yeah. year and it was, like, the hardest thing ever. But if I had no clue of how... You know, big the jump was sure. would have been a hell of a lot easier. Right. So there's a certain amount of like naivete. Sure. And we had that, and people were like, "Why are you going into beverage? That's so competitive." And especially there's Goliaths out there, and it's very capital intensive. <laughs> and these yeah. things, and we're like, "What? What? You don't know what you're talking about. We're gonna win." Yeah. And like, so we went with that, and it's like, there's a certain power to not knowing what you're up against. I mean, you know, if I'm a boxer, I don't really need to obsess like, "Oh boy, that guy hits hard." You know, yeah. like I probably wouldn't do that. I think about like I got this. Right, you got to figure out how you're going to win. Yeah. So you get your recipe down. Yeah. And how do you go from making an at-home recipe, or is there a difference between making an at-home recipe and then making something that you're going to bottle and sell? There is no difference for us, and that was the entire thing. Like our our concept was. <laughs> That's why you have ten thousand two two and a half gallon jars. <laughs> Many. Many. Yeah. Um, y- Kind of. I mean, our whole thing was that, like, you know, there was at the time a market leader, and there still is. Okay. And you know, for us, we thought, well, gosh, what's the point of putting out a product if there's no choice between what's available and what we offer? Sure. So we thought everything we do, we want to look different, we want to be different, we want to make it differently, we want our message to be different. Yeah. All these different things, and so. Um, and what was that message? What did you decide early on that you wanted to stand out with? 
best tasting and highest quality. I mean, it is delicious. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it's how we make it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, we always go back to that core. I think there's a lot of like extra messaging you can put out to talk to different consumers that are maybe coming into kombucha, yeah. never heard of it before. You want to tailor your message to those. But at the end of the day, when you do find health aid and you do start to get into it, you're not going to find a better made product than how we do it. I'm, I believe that. You know, and so for us, going from the uh, going from the apartment up to you know different size, bigger and bigger food facilities. So how did you do that? How did you go from the? Did you start bottling and selling out of the apartment? Kind of. Because that's. You're not really allowed I, to do that. Really allowed. We I mean, we'll, really, we'll let it slide. We didn't do that. It's a good thing that no what one we did. to our podcast. Okay, all right, so, all right. Yeah. So hopefully, it, yeah, thank God there are no <laughs> listeners. Um, entrepreneur story. Yeah. Anything me. you can do, you got to do, right? Exactly. Okay, so look, we got to get into the farmer's market. We already said that we were going to do it, except for we didn't have a public health certificate. Sure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's a problem. So we figured... Only if you get caught or if someone gets sick. You're going to get... You, you will get caught. <laughs> yeah. And so... We um, called around. We thought, how can we get one of these things? Yeah. So a friend of a friend of a friend owned a bakery. Sure. A, like a bake shop in Manhattan Beach here in L.A. And um, what we did was we called her up and we're like, look, you're working crazy hours. Am I right? You're waking up super early. You're like, you know, you're making the donuts and then you're selling them and it's yeah. a whole thing, right? How would you like it yep. if three nights a week you didn't have to work in the bake shop, we did it for you and... We also just brewed kombucha in your bake shop, and then that's then we can use your health certificate. Completely legal, completely fine. Yeah. And she was like, "That's like the deal of a century. I'll definitely take it." So we yeah. had to work. So we worked in a bakery. Three day. One of us, you know, me, Dinah, Vanessa, took a night and uh, oh every God. week, and then we made everything there. And then we expanded our farmers market empire to seven farmers markets. Wow. Doing that. Uh, how much does one two and a half gallon jug? About a case. About a case? About a 12-pack of 16-ounce bottles. We brew it one case at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. That's a, that's a lot. So you're growing. You're doing the farmer's market. When does it start to tip? Because it's still the three of you involved, right? Yeah. Like you're like every hour putting in is the three of you. When do you start going like, we? I don't need to be the guy making it and selling it? How does that start to change? How does the word start to get out? When do you start to like tip it over to more of the what you think of, of like a, a beverage business yeah instead of working in the business going to working on it kind yeah. Of like, yeah yeah um well it helps to have some financial investment which we did not <laughs> that, that. uh in the beginning i mean this was everything was you know i think we put our our the two grand or something we had together yeah this, right and then we were contacted by a venture capital company called first beverage group and they became our first investor and they said oh gosh you know we've been looking for a kombucha company uh we've been trying them all and what is that world like because mm. it definitely is trend based mm-hmm. right because like mm-hmm. kombucha definitely has had a moment but is there a window to get in because now i feel like there's so many kombuchas that it probably maybe is not as enticing as when you were getting started when there was less kombucha in the market i couldn't speak for venture capital people they have a mind of their own um i would say Venture capitalists, there's a there's a period of time during which their investment must mature. Yeah. Let's say, call it between five and seven years. And, like, it can't exist on trend only. Yeah. Right? They need to find – also, they don't run the business. And they're yeah. not capable of it. It's not what they do. It's not their job. <laughs> and I'll say it a lot. Again, that's just – 
they don't do it, and thank God. Right. And so they need strong founders. They need founders that have a vision that are able to pivot. It's a five mm. to seven year job, you know what I mean, before the investment matures in some one way or another. And so you need to be able to pivot. You need to be able to grow the brand. Like for us, we've relied on kombucha this whole time. We don't have any other products. Whereas if you look at other you know, brand food companies, yeah. brand portfolios, yeah, you can have many different kinds of beverages, sure. food or beverage. And so, you know, there's, I, I think they're looking for people who are going to make the investment work. They're business people and they're going to, they're going to own it. Gotcha. So yeah. when you start making the business working for you and you're not working for the business, when did that start to change? It started to change kind of, um, right before we got this investment. Sure. We we're really thinking about and what it. year is this? This is uh, summer of 2013. So you've been in it for about a year. year. About a year. That's pretty good. Yeah, we went after it hard. Yeah, like we all quit our jobs. Like, like Diane and Vanessa had really good jobs. I had a job. Yeah, and they quit their jobs. Like Vanessa, <laughs> Vanessa's job was paying for her MBA at USC, and she was like midway through. She's like, "I'm gonna quit," and we're like, "Okay." You're, just, and you're like, "Like, I just want you to remind you that's your decision." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were all high on this thing at the same time. Yeah, so we were yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. And like, open so, up another case of the booth. Let's do that. Yeah. And so we kept, you know, and so, and then Dinah was the last one who quit her job. She did a really good job. So then it all kind of, um, it was all very fast. But when you make that leap, it becomes like failures on an option. And then that really helps you too. But you had to have failures. Oh, yeah. What, what's, we don't have to get into all of them. Yeah. But what was the one early on where you're like, I don't know if, this is going to be the thing we thought it was going to be. I mean, there was one time, so like American Express kept calling us and like, you were like, dude, I don't have, your I don't money. have your money. I don't have your, like, I don't care what you're going to tell me. Like yeah. if I had your money, I would pay you. Yeah. And so we were, I hate these calls as much as you do. <laughs> yeah, listen, I don't like this either. Man. So they were calling us and calling us. And it was at the time that we were like negotiating for our first round of investment. And like, right. we had never dealt with investors at all. We had no idea. And so we were, we were like midway through all the negotiations. We were like, okay, listen, we have to call them and we do have to tell them about this credit card situation. Like we can't hide it. Yeah, this. you can't hide it. And we called them and they were like, we're not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so funny when you yeah. think and they're like, yeah, no, that's why we're here. Yeah. We're here with the checkbook. We're like, wait a minute. You guys have never been in business. We had a whole different idea. No, we thought know. you guys had a balanced book. Yeah. No, uh, we're like, yeah, we know. So, you know, you get the investment, you get yeah. the brand. How do you build it? Like, how do you, now that you're up and running, now that you know that, you know, you're coming into work tomorrow, you got the backing, what's growth look like to you know, breakthrough, people buying it, you know, what are you doing? When do you know that things are shifting? Okay, so this is a product that you buy on the shelf at grocery stores and elsewhere. So one of the first things you can do is get your label right. Yeah. It's always there. It's what people see when they approach the beverage cooler. So for us, you know, we had some early iterations and they were really epic. And then we kind of pulled it together and got that. I think that was a good first step. Yeah. And then I think, um, and then... After that, I think um, it was about getting the right type of personnel on. Like we need someone focused on sales all the time. Sure. I mean sales is – it's a very special job. Very special job. And then we also needed somebody focused on production all the time. And we made a big hire in that arena. So now, that was huge for us. And now how did you uh, start breaking into supermarkets? Because that is one of the most 
complicated tough things things that you know if you're talking about cliff jumping that you might not know about going in which is like getting products on shelf yeah um, and uh, getting in with like the right distribution people especially yeah. in like places like New York where there are certain distribution people oh, yeah. who have strangleholds on those bodegas and yes, they get they in do. yeah yeah so well, how did you deal with that oh well good looks and sparkling personality absolutely uh, is required I mean no I you know with the grocery stores we always think of it as like you know make a little chart there's you and then there's your competitors and everything that they're doing you, you just must do better yeah you, you must and not just like oh I know it's better no 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 it needs to be evidently better to anybody yeah. witnessing it so like a good example is the very first grocery chain we got into. It's a, it's a grocery chain around here in LA called Gelson's. Oh yeah. And you know, Vanessa and I, we would bring this guy the buyer. We'd like bring him coffee. We'd like show up at his office all the time. Sure. And then finally, this is like kind of like music, right? You like showing up and then, yeah. and then bang, they're I like, all right, kid, I'll give you a talk. And we're yeah. like, ooh. ooh. And then we were ready and we just really promised that we would do more demos, which is like, here, would you like a sample yeah, person? Sure. And, um, and that we would show up at the stores, we would help the employees um, pack out the, the shelves and make everything look nice, yeah. and we would give them really favorable terms and things like that. And we did that, and you know, there was no nonchalance about it. Like, we didn't take anything for granted. It was, and we still don't. You gotta stay incredibly hungry, because there is somebody always right there. I mean, especially with something like kombucha and it's like hip and it's alternative, there is a you now that you 10 years ago in their apartment somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there in is. In Venice, brewing up a Scooby. Yep. Um, so I, there's one thing I want to I wanna touch on before we run out of time because even though you uh, stopped playing music professionally, I know that it still plays a part in the office and like when you're brewing. Yes. So, what what's your brewing music? All right. When when you're making when you're putting it together. <laughs> okay. So, kombucha sits like in a dark room. Yeah. And it ferments. So picture if you can, like you know, hundred, two hundred thousand little glass jars just kind of sitting there. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, and that's the fermentation process. Now, back in the day when we started. There's always like these rumors about like our the, the, there's like a you know main competitor company in in, in kombucha which are like oh they you know they play like Indian chants and and things like that to to help increase the spirituality or something like that of the kombucha I don't know we heard so, something along those lines sure that was like the rumor and again I was thinking we have to be different like we can't play Indian chants no I mean, come on and like so. I thought um, there's a really great classical music station around here called KUSC mm -hmm. and um, 91.5 in LA. And at night there's Jim Shveda, who's like a legend in this world. And so I used to play, I still do it sometimes so I can get away with it, but it's just, I have to like bring a boombox in there. But for years, as soon as we walk out, like the last thing you do before you turn the lights out is like, just turn on 91.5 and Beautiful. let them listen to classical music. And we yeah. thought, well, that would harmonize them and they would feel uh, really balanced. You I know, they it. would, they would, you know, and they would kind of, you know, it's like baby Mozart, you know, which has been debunked, but whatever. Baby Mozart, you know, but eh, for the kombucha. Yeah. Sure. What are you going to do? Like not play Mozart for your yeah, kid? Yeah, what are you going to do? You have a kid. Play I Mozart. Kid. Yeah. I, I'm, there's no way I'm not going to play Mozart because... Because you love him. Her. I love her. <laughs> and if there's a 1% chance that that makes her smarter, you got to do it. You got to do it. You know you have to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much. Where can people get health aid? Oh, gosh. Anywhere that you buy kombucha presently. But, I mean, any grocery store basically should have it. If you're in New York, all the bodegas carry it. Target, Walmart, 
you name it. We're growing all the time, but pretty much everywhere. Awesome. And if you had to pick a favorite, I know it's like picking a favorite child. Favorite flavor? I know a problem picking a favorite child. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, when um, you have one kid, it's really easy. Yeah, it's really easy. Mine's Josephine. She's my favorite. She's great. Yeah, she's yeah. wonderful. Number one. Uh, but compared to what could be, you don't know. Oh, man. No, it's good. And yeah. so, um, uh, gosh, uh, favorite. Actually, it's our newest flavor. It's our jalapeno kiwi cucumber. Ooh. I know you said you don't love jalapeno. Not a jalapeno guy. Uh, that's okay. I'm not either, but it's only a little bit spicy, and it's like really cooled off by the cucumber. Awesome. I love it so much. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate the bottle, too. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes, and then a live performance coming up on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
100 Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are at the legendary Danger Bird Records studio in beautiful Silver Lake. We are with Tropa, Mahika, the Pacheco brothers, David and Renee. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. That's Renee's meeting call. We're actually only doing answers uh, in whistle form only, so you are all set. Interesting. Interesting insight. Um, so, so leave the smoke signals outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are brothers. Uh, who's the older brother? Uh, we like to play around with people, so uh, depends. It depends on the day of the week. Depends so, on the day. Yeah, sometimes Renee <laughs> could be the older one, sometimes I could be the older one. All right, um, so did you guys grow up Playing together when you guys start getting into music, mom and dad into music, grandpa, grandma into music? No, we were just always together. Um, we grew up together, bonded at a very early age. And and as we became teenagers, we, we went our of. own separate routes, but we were eventually reunited, not just by music, but also by marijuana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Renee caught me uh, smoking weed. I started smoking <laughs> weed a little bit before him, and um, I would smoke it outside of the house. It smelled and, good. And then he's just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm like, you want to try it? And, uh, and then if it was, you don't even try it, I'm going to tell my mom. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's always a good thing. You know, as as a brother, the way they let your, <laughs> let your brother do things, be like, I'm going to tell mom and dad. Yeah, and then, uh, and then we had a day where we both stitched, and uh, we bought, like, a gram of, um, at the time, there was, it wasn't clinical weed. It was, um, yeah. you either got, like, a Pretendo or, like, a... Or, like, chronic was the chronic. main thing, and Kush was coming out. Kush oh, was, yeah. like, 25 bucks yeah. a gram or we something. We got Chronic, though, and it's the best I've ever heard the Doors, uh, Riders on the Storm. Yeah. yeah, I think the Doors were meant for uh, smoking weed or... Yeah, we maybe we gotta do the stoner things you know yeah because i mean I, i've been smoking weed long enough and i mean there's a lot of people out there who smoke weed like like at, at in big amounts to the point where like the best high you're ever gonna get was when you first tried it right yeah and and yeah because man those were one of the days where i was like oh man this is something now i'm just like i can like you know, function with it, so it's a little different. But when when I get to remember back to those days, riding right on the storms, leaning my head, thinking I'm floating, but I'm falling off the couch. You know, it was cool, man. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. So when did you guys go from smoking weed and listening to music to smoking weed and making music? Uh, right away. Um, once we once like we kind of were like both smoking weed because at the time like it was it was still taboo. Yeah. So you know it's like you're not supposed to be smoking weed. Once we started doing that, um, especially we, with like a Mexican family. Yeah, we started we started bonding and like our interests started kind of 
bonding as well, you know, forming together and and I and we like would, I, we would I go got to shows just to smoke weed sometimes. Yeah, because you know yeah. I couldn't smoke at the house and like I wasn't young enough to like go my or I wasn't old enough to go to my own places. But you're like let just, let him take me to shows. It's a safe spot. Yeah, yeah we kind of. To, we would go to places like the Smell or like backyard shows or oh, like yeah. Pear Space. Um, it's not there anymore, but uh, right there in, um, on Glendale it used to be right there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we would go to those spots. They were all ages spots, and you could smoke and yeah. Yeah, like anybody who's like trying to try something new outside of your limits, you know, you're you're gonna end up betraying either your parents' trust a little bit, you know. Yeah. Because you know they they have their way of. But it's not supposed yeah. to be me. It's just yeah, you gotta yeah. be. You gotta yeah, be I didn't do it man. as an offense to them. I yeah. just really dug it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, it uh, was, and it kept me out of trouble. <laughs> so uh, being Mexican and like the punk rock scene, like with the yeah. smell things like that, which is. Not always. I mean, it's n mostly white at times, like those like DIY underground scenes. Yeah. Where did you guys feel that you fit in? What did you guys want to do musically? Like, what did you, or did you just never even see that because you both, you it was just like we love the music, race is not an issue at all. Yeah, surprisingly for us, yeah. it was never an issue. Like, um, we would see like it wasn't until we went to college and we took our first like Chicano studies yeah. class yeah. that we started like I, I blame college actually for like. No. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know racism existed until I went to college. No, it's kind of no. true. Like you know, you understand like uh, so, like uh, like social like it, structures. It, it leaves and, you mad, but I mean, so if you can um, if you can like find a, a solution to like to you know like know that about you and kind of go your way and like it kind of makes you stronger. You know, like, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or stranger. So, so we embraced, like, uh, all types of music. Like, when we were going to the Smell, this was around the time when, like, Mika Miko and oh, yeah. Age were blowing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah because uh, when, so we mid when we... Mid-late 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. yeah, uh, being Mexican in the punk scene, like, that's all I saw at backyard shows. Like, everybody, you know, like, we yeah. all looked like I remember we saw Fiddler, like, at the Five Star oh, Bar. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and but it was, like, our, our interest in music that took us other, uh, you know, other places, and we weren't really thinking, like, racism, racism. We were just very and, much and thinking it, melodies, cool structures, about, rhythms. The cool thing about the LA underground scene was that it was a lot different than the East LA backyard punk scene because in the East LA backyard punk scene, it was very, like, everything was the same. It felt like everybody was trying to sound either as hard as, and heavy as you could or as skull as you could, but with, like, places like the Smell and Paris Space or, like, the little places that were around at the time, the, the Echo Curio on Sunset, there was the Alka Gallery, Right there on Glendale too. Yeah, Those that's places true. like booked a lot of different types of bands. Like you know, you had the Meishi, or you had like oh, um, you heard of them? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah well, like, I remember so when Echo was, Park was like starting to pick up its pace before, like, for like, this like, like, like music at, its, scene that it at its birth of gentrification. Like you yeah. know, but like we didn't even know that term at the time. We just knew that like. As there we, was something yeah. going on, and we're like, and then it was until later we're like, oh, that's yeah. the term for that. Yeah, because we were still kids, you know. As kids, you grow up, you're sort of thinking Kinda like naive. everything's pretty, everything's beautiful, the world, and then you sort of learn the truth a little bit here and there, and you're kind of like, oh shit. And so that 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 doesn't like we tried not to let that affect us as creatives. We try to just sort of like understand that, you know, um, understand the truth and let that help us continue to grow as creatives. Awesome. Well, let's hear a song, and then we're gonna get back into when we come back. We'll talk about. The first band, how you guys started to start defining your sound. Yeah, uh, definitely. What's the first song you guys gonna play? Uh, we're gonna the first song we're gonna play is called uh, Morena. Okay, cool. Yeah. Any story behind it? Uh, Morena had actually started with a riff that 
Jason would play uh, on uh, like at sound checks, and, and I'm like, hey, play that riff again, and then we wrote a melody around it and some chord structure. Oh yeah, do you want to shout out the other two guys in the room? Yeah, so we have Davis on piano. Uh, he plays piano, keyboard, uh, or like synth organ kind of sounds and then uh jason who's been with us he's actually been a fan of of our music since like before tropa magica and he he once posted a video on instagram where he's uh playing one of our songs and then four months later he joined the band the that basis. has got to be the most awesome surreal oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good day that was a good call or email and right it's funny because he was joking around saying oh you're hired and four months later sure enough <laughs> man there you go. hey dream big you never know. You never know. Take a risk. All right, here we go. Uh, Tropa, Tropa Magica live on Snacky Tunes at Danger Bird Record Studios.
butt rips. Ooh, that rips real hard. Thank you. Um, so before you were the band that you are now, you actually had an earlier iteration, uh, The Commons. Yeah. And uh, you guys, in addition, that also sort of defined a new type of sound um, that was sort of like cumbia, but like your own sort of like punk rock thing. So how did you guys start your first band? When did you guys decide that you wanted to play together? And then how did you start to define your sound, especially when it was something completely new? We decided to play together when David needed a drummer. Oh. And I already had been practicing drums myself. And you had the blackmail weed thing on there, too. <laughs> so everything fell into place from there. Yeah, and then like coming out of the, like experiencing the LA scene around that time, you know, like late 2000s, you know, before 2010, um, it was very interesting because at that same time we started, we went to college, you know, we had dropped out of like college, like community college, and we were just working, trying to do music, and, yeah. and then we decided to go back to school, and it was around that time where we started like, um, kind of like embracing our roots more and trying to like find like our, our identity per se, and um, we started listening to more of a, like, I guess like regional music you know like uh the roots of chicha had a big influence on us but since we had like all this like these years of experience with bands like mika miko meishi you know um it we weren't able gonna we weren't gonna be able to do it authentically anymore so at that point it just that kinda, punk had seeped in yeah at that I point mean, we were like we were what's trying that to get inside of you we were trying to be no age for a good while like we were trying to do it as a two-piece and then Ooh. yeah I, and that was I, hard I, yeah, Kumi is a two-piece. I don't know if that's... Yeah, you need the bass. You need that bass. You need that driving bass. <laughs> and, um, and then we went through like a dozen basses, uh, just trying to like gel, find our sound and... Um, find our voice. Yeah. yeah it took us a lot of ingesting to do. We were very curious, so we, we were um, um, experiencing a lot of different bands, going to different... You know, just yeah. going to different areas that... Yeah. That, um, and then Boyle Heights, that's when we started noticing uh, more like... Latino bands, like people that like had similar backgrounds, like as us, where but it was kind of weird because we felt like outcast there because we felt like the music we like was too white, you know, like and they were more like hardcore, like rootsy, like you know, like you gotta play cumbia straight up like this, <laughs> and we felt very like, oh, like but left, I like fucking distortion, yeah, 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 yeah. This hit, yeah. I mean, yeah. did you find as you were sort of defining yourself and you find yourself one foot in, you know, the punk scene? Uh, which is like a, the white scene and then like the Boyle Heights, which is more yeah. of the Mexican scene. Like, how long did it take for you to sort of find comfortability and acceptance with the music you were making? Like, when did that start to gel? Three years. It was, yeah. uh, with the comments, it was three years. It wasn't until we saw this band called uh, Cumbia Queers from Argentina. They mm -hmm. came to to Boyle Heights. They played at this little dive bar. And um, and they, they do like, it's like a bunch of girls, you know, ladies, women. They they do the the cumbia style, and it's very aggressive, like you know, with distortion guitar, distorted guitars. Um, since um, they I don't did think a, it's aggressive. I just think it's unapologetic. Yeah, like they're gonna it, do what they're there to do they and what they like wanted a, to hear. They did a cumbia version of Iron Man, but Black Sabbath, <laughs> and that's when Renee and I looked at each other and we were just like, boom, like light bulb went on, and it's like it's okay to be different. Like yeah, because, because prior to hearing them um, play cumbia in that in that in that form in that style, 
in which it wasn't just like your typical clean or not typical. That's that's messed up. Just like it wasn't your clean, traditional. Yeah, it wasn't your cut clean, you know, form of cumbia. This was something a lot more grittier and something that we could accept as like uh, cumbia punk, cumbia punk, you know. Yeah. Um, that attitude like just really called to us and let us know like. It's okay what you're doing, you know, like, you, you guys aren't playing it the way it's supposed to be sounding, but through hearing them, it was like a beautiful blessing, like, keep doing it, keep yeah, doing it, because they did a cover of Iron Man in a cumbia, you know, cumbia style. I'd never heard anything like so that. So it's like, and now, now for those of y'all that are listening that don't necessarily know what cumbia is, um, it's very defined by, it's very much defined by its uh, bass rhythms and its percussions, and the percussions would be very much like a, a guido sound, which sounds like a so any song that's on like four four, you you can turn it into cumbia. I mean, you guys have been known to cover Nirvana. Yeah, yeah we covered yeah. some Nirvana songs. We did. Um, I mean, we joked around and played a bunch of different little cumbia melodies. Now, uh, you did the Commons for a while. Six years. Six years, and then you decided to change to Tropa Magica. What made the change? Why did you want to change? And was it hard to, I mean, to rebrand yourself as a band? Uh, but not changing like who you guys are. It was like you like one guy left. Yeah. Like what made you want to decide um, to change it up? And and how did the fans? How did the people who loved you guys deal with that as well? So this is a three part question. Three part question. So um, what made you want to change? What made us want to change? How did that change go? And how did the fans take it? Yeah. My answer for the first one might be different to David's, but for me it was just very uh, simple. It was an evolution. When we started the first band, it was uh, the, the first name that, or when we started the Commons, the name was just something we grabbed really quick and ran with it because we needed a name. But as we kept growing well, well, as we musicians... What we kind of embraced was like, you know, it wasn't the name that was going to define us, it was our sound that was going to define us. And yeah, and so afterwards we realized like, okay, now we want to switch it up because for me, like, we had changed as musicians our sound completely shifted and so it, it was like david came up to me and was like what do you think about changing the band name to this and at first i struggled but it immediately became clear to me it's like yeah we've become something else mm. we should call ourselves for something because now we were able to name ourselves as opposed to just take whatever name we could have mm. yeah, so we, we had a more with... bigger sense of purpose and we knew what we wanted of what we were going to continue to do because yeah, with the commons um what happened was that we had another band called hello my name is red um, the acronyms for that was like HMNR, and uh, we did that for four years, and then we stopped that band to do the Commons, and we had a radio show at KXIU, and they were like, so what should we bill you guys under? And we're like, okay, well, just, we threw that name out there, and then it just kind of stuck. Mm. Um, yeah, because we played a show once uh, right before we became the Commons as a no-name band, <laughs> <laughs> where I did a song without drums. It yeah, was really awkward. What inspired the shift, too, it was also like, you know, um, 2017 for the Commons, our band, it was like, it was a really great year. We played Coachella, you know, we had done Tropicalia. We got a lot of good press, LA Weekly, you know, LA Times were talking about our band. And to me, it felt like, it It felt like, all right, what are we going to do as a band that's going to surpass this, that's going to, you know, kind of create the next thing? And, and and in my head, it's just like, there's nothing. We're like, what, we're going to win a Grammy as the Commons? And I, sure. I, I didn't feel that, like, that was going to happen with the Commons, so... I was just like, you know, just reinvent ourselves, let it die so that something stronger could come out of it. Like a Pajonix, Phoenix. From the ashes. Yeah. From the fans. 
the fans come with you? Um, slowly, yeah. Like I think now, like it's gaining more legitimacy as like we got booked for like Desert Days, you know. Yeah, doing, I, I think it just took a little while because they, they, they didn't they know what to, songs they, they were going to come in here. It, you know? They were they were used to hearing the songs that we yeah, had yeah, laid yeah. out for them, but until now, now that we like been producing some work for them to hear, I, I feel like they're kind of like they're buying okay, the water's it, not yeah. that cold. I'm down to dip in. Yeah. yeah, and then we're touring, and so as people are more getting more excited, like oh, like we haven't toured like since last year, and we we were abandoned like constantly tours. So yeah, like, us now releasing an an EP singles and an LP coming out. Well, which by the time this airs, it should already be out. It, it creates definitely like a foundation for which previous fans can now base their judgment. Because before, it's just like, oh my God, they're just changing. And there was nothing to back it up unless you're like <laughs> diehard fan, yeah. which we do have our, some. Our, our first uh, show to an audience of Tropa Magica, uh, there were people who showed up. But nobody knew what they were in for, and so it, they didn't know exactly how but, to react. But they, but they were down. <laughs> yeah. They were down and swim with this. Um, awesome. All right, well, let's hear our next song. What are we going to hear? Uh, the next song is going to be Cupa Cabras, to give you an example of the psychedelic cumbia punk version of what we do. Awesome. All right, Cupa here, Cabras. Here we go.
salía por el pan No regresaba en la mañana Entonces preguntaba dónde está So good. Um, so I want to go back a little bit into uh, the process of inventing a new sound. Okay. Um, because I know we touched on it a little bit in the last segment, but I really don't want to undermine or underplay really how amazing it is to come up with something that unique. And in setting out to do this new sound, um, did you guys have a conversation about it? Did you guys go, we want to do it? And Because I know that you... You've named it the psychedelic cumbia punk. Um, like, when did you realize that you were on this new journey? When did you realize that you had this new sound that did take from, you know, the traditional cumbia sound and the the backyard punk scene? That I think started with the song called "Psychedelic Dream," in which um, it was very guitar oriented, and then Renee began playing this drum that kind of became our signature kind of sound guitar and drum sound, which is like what you call like what do you call that? Like a soca, no? It's not what I call it, it's what it's called. It's called soca. It's and like a Jamaican. A lot of people when they hear it they'll think, oh it's reggaeton. Yeah. But no, hell no reggaeton took it from soca. <laughs> yeah. And um but it was definitely a process and once once we got in that vibe of like, okay, this is our sound, like it just like yeah, and that was always our goal because I feel like any great band, you, you recognize them by their sound, you know? You don't yeah. recognize them by their name or their logo. Like, I mean, that's obviously that's a factor. Like, you know, Rolling Stones have the tongue or something. The Doors have their logo. But you recognize their sound. And then for us, that was very important. Like, we need to develop a sound that's ours. And so, I mean, we're like, we were we were performing with bands like Chicano Batman, you know? Um, yeah. Um, just like all sorts of bands that were like blowing up and so the competition was real you know and but it was also very cool to see like bands like Chicago Batman like touring with Jack White and like kind of demonstrating that like hey like like making it as a musician is like very possible you know coming from East LA and so I mean as you've seen the demographics in America change because obviously growing up in LA and East LA yeah you know there's a uh, Hispanic Mexican yeah, like it's so it's, you don't feel like a, a minority in Southern like, California, right? But once you get out, you know, yeah. uh, oh, and as you see different cities change with different people, do you find more acceptance across uh, the country for your music, or does does that not even play into it? Like you just you know now because you have such a unique sound and are well known, it doesn't matter what the community is; people just love the music. I, I think we were um, no, it does a little bit because when we were the Commons, yeah. Like, 
you're gonna think like, oh, this might be like a, a garage white, band or something. Sure. White boys garage band. But, but now you hear Throba Monica, you know, you might think like, oh, you know, like, just, it's like it's maybe the carnival's in town. Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> uh, and um, what also what, what we were lucky and fortunate and blessed with is that like. You know, we met good, like, networks, you know, like, Burger Records was really interested oh, yeah. in us when, like, this is, like, 2014, and, like, you know, they were they were still doing a lot of stuff, and so when we first toured, they <laughs> they presented the tour, which was, like, really cool, because people would come out to shows because we were a burger band, you know, yeah. quote-unquote, like, we were a burger band, and, uh, and they had no idea what we sounded like until they saw, like... Like a poster in their local, like you know, local community, and they're like, "Hey, there's a burger band," and then they look us up, and they're like, you know, you guys don't sound like a burger band or look like a burger band. I mean, I have to imagine that the vibe when you guys jump on, especially your like normal indie punk show, mm. probably gets a little bit more dancey, a little bit more like. Do you see kids who normally would maybe just be arms folded or a little bit more stoic, get a little bit more loose? You know, it's a trip because when we tour with Fiddler. We did like three dates with them in San Francisco, Santa Cruz, and, yeah. and Seattle. And you know their their audience is predominantly like white audience, I would yeah. assume. But they have like a good Latino yeah. audience. They have a diverse audience, but it's predominantly white. Yeah. And uh, it but was they so were, funny watching them dance cumbia. Yeah, they like they got down like you know it's like. The, but it's their like, enthusiasm was just so that like that that's at the end of the day like what you give it up to like it's not to make fun of them you know like why point is that it's just that their enthusiasm was in the right place. It's like us like dancing to bands like like we were saying earlier like Mika Miko and stuff and like being brown kids you know dancing to like yeah and it's like that's like yeah we like, like, vice versa. Yeah, now. we look like a Doug Trio, you know, <laughs> causing an earthquake. <laughs> uh, Pokemon yeah. reference, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me tell you about a kid that turns into a car one day. <laughs> Inside joke. Um, and so uh, now that you guys, you got the new album coming out, uh, you know, you're playing festivals as the new band. Where do you, where, like, where do you see the band going? Where do you want to go? Because now that you've hit the reset button, like, like you said, you did Coachella, you got people talking about you, but, you know, obviously you want to get that with the new band, but then how do you go beyond what you do with the commons Leave the U.S. Yeah. Tour internationally. That's the goal, I mean, to become an international band where we tour Europe, Mexico, South America, because um, I feel like once you break over there in those areas... Then when we come back to the states, it'll be like it's it's just like people like our followers sometimes, you know, which is kind of sucks. But like it's like mass thinking, you know, like group think, and it's like you know, if you're everybody not, thinks hey, you're not gonna change history. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like yeah, it is so, what it is. So and then like in a sense, like you gotta go with the flow. Yeah, it's, it's like they told Bruce Lee, you know, like yeah, it's like like but don't everybody try to fight the water. But, be but the water. this is not to say that anybody that's like picking up to what we're doing right now, like that we categorize under that. Like now, like we really appreciate like everybody that's tuning into Droba Mahika. Like we have a lot of new people that are tuning into it for the first time who don't even know that we had another band which is really cool you that's know? bonus music yeah you know where you get in the band you go like wait they had another band with, with yeah, exactly three albums? Like, oh. but the funny thing is that like like the moment we decided called tropa magica everyone was like oh my god no it was like bitch when we were the commons what where was that shit at <laughs> so y'all gotta y'all gotta lay off and you know just chill out let the current flow calm the fuck down but now they're with you and now they're gonna see you yeah, well definitely. i mean it, whether, whether whether they're with us or they're not like like we appreciate those who do and reach out to us but like i've told david like you know, like, because when David and I, we practice by ourselves, like, just doing stuff, whether there's an audience or not, we're going to 
give it our all. I mean, I'm seeing it today. So that's a, like that's 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 something that's just beautiful. And like for those who do ride along the journey, thank you, appreciate you, and there's more to come. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys. I want to make sure we have enough time for one more song. But where can people get? The new album, where can people find you online? People can find us on uh, com or like on anything, like all social media, Spotify. LinkedIn for the classy people. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So what are you going to take us out with? Uh, we're going to take you out with a little medley. That's, it's like an instrumental medley. Well, the first part is actually from the new album. It's called Dia Viejo. And then it's going to go into a... We wrote it to our older selves. Yeah, this is a song that Renee and I like, wrote. The day we're hunched over, gray hair, and just like, yeah. Yeah. just like you know, just yeah. like, like this is this, this is what we wrote. Like when when our when our Quincy Jones documentary exactly. Comes out. Uh. Yeah, see, yeah, because the Quincy Jones uh, documentary came Have out, you seen and it? it's on really Netflix? and it's really more about That's his good. final act, reminiscing on his first acts, first and second act. Okay. But I really just appreciated this idea of like, hey, you got to make art and music. That your future self has to live up to. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I want to thank for posterity. Uh, Andy Dangerbird Records. Thank you, Andy, for making it sound good. Woo! Put some reverb on it. And <laughs> thank you to Heritage Radio. Uh, this is Snacky Tunes, Tropa Magica. See you next week. One last sip of beer before here we go.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.